how things were back home. And the Bible begins to tell us in verse number three, follow along with us this morning. The Bible says, they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And so he heard the truth. He heard it clearly. It was not sugar-coated. Things were bad off. Now, oftentimes, I'll, I'll agree with you, and you'll probably agree with me. I, I don't like bad news. I don't like being around pessimists. I get away from them as quick as I can. I, I like being around optimists, uh, and I like seeing the glass half full. But when it comes down to it, we need to hear the truth. And you can be optimistic about the truth, but you still need to hear the truth. And the Bible says that Israel is in great affliction. And reproach, the walls broken down, and the gates are, are burned with fire. Now, Nehemiah is hearing the truth. He wants to know how things are back home so that he can know what needs to happen in order to bring about a recovery and how God was going to use him to bring about a recovery. And remember this, it was Israel not wanting to hear the truth that led them to the mess that they were in to begin with. Jeremiah the prophet, the weeping prophet, as we'll look at here in just a moment, Jeremiah the prophet had preached repentance, 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 and to turn back to God and to turn their ears and their hearts back to God. But Israel did not want to hear the truth and that's what led them into this captivity. And so Nehemiah's desire to know the truth is what will begin began to bring about this revival. And what we're going to look at today is what they did with the truth and what Nehemiah did with the truth. What we must understand today is how we respond to the truth of where we're at will determine whether or not we have revival and whether or not we ever stand a chance of recovering. And we're going to see how Nehemiah responded to the truth that he was given. Now I'm going to go ahead and tell you. Today we're going to look at probably one of the most undesirable stretches on the road to recovery. You know, from time to time, we like to get out and go for a drive, particularly in all of this quarantine. It's nice just to get out and go for a ride and look at the countryside. And whoever thought that you would enjoy just looking around the, the hills and the, uh, the trees of South Mississippi, but when you're stuck inside four walls all day, it's enjoyable to get out. And you get out and you take a drive, and we like to go down those pretty roads, uh, those nice country roads with the oak trees that hang over the road. And we see the beautiful fields of vegetables and corn and all of that. We do not like to go down undesirable roads. But on the road to recovery, there's an undesirable stretch that we're going to have to go down. We can't avoid that. In order to get to recovery and revival, we must go through this area we're going to look at this morning. I'll illustrate that with a story. I've told you many times that I've been, I've been to Africa many years ago to preach in Uganda. And we went up in the, I think, the northwest part of Uganda to a city called Gulu. A lot of refugees were there from uh, the war there at South Sudan and Sudan, uh, fighting for their independence. Independence. And on the way back, we stopped at, we were going to a place called Murchison Falls. I showed you a picture of it a while back in an illustration. And on our way there, we ran late on our time, and we came to a gate right at dusk. There was a, a pipe uh, across the road, and there was a gentleman standing over in the woods in the middle of nowhere. Now, the roads are not paved. They're all dirty. It's just African uh, scrub bru uh, brush everywhere. We pulled up to the gate, and the gentleman says, you can't pass any further. And we asked him why. He says, it's sunset. 
that, they close that gate because the road is very treacherous. He says there's no houses, there's no electricity, there's nowhere to stop or call for help. There's wild beasts, literally beasts out there uh, in that neck of the woods. And then there were bandits along the road. And he told us, you're not allowed to go this way. It's too dangerous for you. You're going to have to turn around and go home. Well, the place we had to stay was on the other side of that stretch of road. We had to go through there. Uh, and $20 bought our passage to be able to get through there. But here's what I want you to understand. As dangerous and as desolate as that stretch of road was, we had to go through there in order to get to the place that we desired to be, the destination that we were striving to get to by nightfall where there was a safe place to stay was on the other side of this desolate stretch of road. And we had to navigate that in order to get where we were going. And this morning, we're going to traverse a desolate road on the road to recovery in order for us to find how Nehemiah had recovery and revival for his city. So let's begin this morning. Look down, if you will, in verse number four. Nehemiah is about to respond to the news that Jerusalem has been ransacked. The Bible says, and it came to pass when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now we're going to stop right there and I want to pray one more time. And I want to ask God to help us make our way down this very, very uh, unhospitable road this morning in order to find the recovery that we need. Let's pray again together. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for preserving examples such as Nehemiah that we can learn from today. And Lord, this is not a direction we're going to want to go. Uh, Lord, we want to skip over this and get to the good part of the recovery. We've got to go through this tough spot this morning. And I pray that you'd work in a mighty way well, well beyond my words through your Holy Spirit. And I pray we respond and be obedient during the invitation time. Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do. And I pray you do a mighty work today in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse number four. Nehemiah says, it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept. Now, one of our devotions this week, I told you that sometimes, and I confess to you, as I read the Bible, there are certain parts of certain verses. Matter of fact, there's certain parts of certain chapters and books that are kind of like flyover country. Uh, there are parts where I want to skip past that. Oftentimes, we get into the begats, and we want to skip over those things and get to the meaty part of certain chapters and verses. And in verse number four, there was a phrase that I wanted to just skip past and get on to where the Bible says that they wept. But notice the Bible says it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down. I'll be honest with you. At first, I thought there was nothing there. I just, you know, thought to myself, God's just leading up uh, to get to the place where Nehemiah wept. But we're seeing a step-by-step progression of events and how Nehemiah was going to lead his people back on the road to recovery. And when as soon as he heard the news, as soon as he heard how bad things were, the Bible says that he sat down. I want you to notice something very important this morning. As soon as he heard the undeniable truth of exactly how things were, he sat down. Now, I don't know what Nehemiah had going on that day, but obviously he was an employment of the castle and of the palace. He was the king's cupbearer. Obviously, he had duties uh, to go about and responsibilities to fulfill. But as soon as he heard the truth of just how things were, it was not sugarcoated. The Bible says that he sat down. So number one, I want you to notice that Nehemiah, he was affected by the truth. He was affected by the truth. Now, this is important. Everything else in his life was now put on hold. 
For this moment when he heard the news of exactly how things were, regardless of what he had to do in the next 30 minutes or the next hour, the Bible says he sat down. Everything was going to have to wait because the truth of the situation now demanded his full attention. Now here's what I want you to see. Nehemiah could not just go on as normal. Nehemiah couldn't just sit there and say, man, that sounds bad, but I got to get back to work. I've got things I've got to do. The Bible says that he sat down. You see, that truth could not be ignored, and I believe this is something we've got to see this morning. The reason that there's no one in this building hardly this morning and churches all over this country are empty is because for too long we've not been affected by the truth. The truth of God's word has been preached and re-preached and re-preached from the pulpits all over this country in churches all over this world and yet we come to the house of God. We hear the truth proclaimed and yet we walk out the doors unaffected and that's why we're in the shape that we're in today. And yet we see Nehemiah as he prepares to lead the people of God on the road to recovery. As soon as he hears the truth, it affects him so much that everything else goes out the window and he sits down. Now can I pose a question to you this morning? When was the last time that the truth has affected you so much that it sat you down? I you to think about that. When was the last time that the truth of God's word sat you down? And what I mean by that, it was unavoidable. The truth of God's word penetrated so deep within our heart, it affected us so much that we could not go about life as normal. Now folks, understand we are seeing a roadmap to recovery and it began with Nehemiah desiring to know the truth and then as soon as he knew the truth, he responded to it by being affected by it. And if we desire to recover what we had, and I'm going to be honest with you, and I don't mean to scare you, but if scaring you helps you just a little bit, uh, then so be it. I don't know that it's a given anymore. I don't know that things are going to return to normal. I don't know that, 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 that within the next couple of months, everything's going to go back the way that it was. I pray that it is. I'm asking God to work and be merciful and gracious to us, but it's not a guarantee anymore. And I believe if we have any desire to get on the road to recovery and restore what we once had, the word of God and the truth of the word of God has got to affect us. We can't just go on as life as normal. Now, I don't know what he had going on in his day that day. The Bible says he sat down. And I would pose the question to you today was when was the last time that the truth of God's word just sat you down? Where you could not go on any far further and you could not go on a life as usual and just pick up where you left off. I believe today we're going to have to get to the place where God's word and God's truth affects us. Now, I don't know what's going on in the life of Nehemiah, but right here, he puts everything on hold. Literally, he puts it all on hold. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days. This was not just a five-minute pity party that Nehemiah had for himself. The Bible says Nehemiah put life on hold. He says the truth of the situation that my people are living in is so devastating, it affected him that he just sat down. And he could not continue life as normal. And I believe we're at a place in America this morning 
Well, the truths of God's word have got to affect us. And if we continue to live outside of these walls, the way that we lived inside of these walls, so what do you mean by that? By knowing the truth and not being affected by it, then I don't believe we stand a chance of ever coming back to this place and remaining here for very long. Why? Because we're running from the truth and we're running from the very thing that we're looking for. How could you not look at our country? Listen, I I had a phone call last night uh, from a good friend of mine, and I've been praying for a member of his family to get saved uh, for a long, long time. And he called last night. He says, I want you to pray. My dad's uh, going to church tomorrow for a drive-in service. You see, what's happening is what's going on in our world has got people thinking. It's affecting them. You see, where the truth could not affect us, and we would not allow it to affect us inside of here, God's found a way to make it affect us outside of here. And the most important thing that we can do is allow the truth of how devastating things are to affect us, that we'll be willing to put life on hold. I'm going to turn the television off a couple of extra hours and spend time in prayer, begging God for mercy, because unless God is merciful to us, I hate to tell you this, you'll never see anything like we once had here at Central Baptist Church. Got a phone call the other day from a man in Minnesota, and I don't know him. He doesn't know me. We've never met before. And he says, here's what he says. He says, Pastor, I saw where the tornadoes move through your area on the news. And I was just devastated by seeing the destruction and homes destroyed and churches that were destroyed and people that have needs and people that are homeless now because of that. And he says, as I watched the devastation on television, my heart was broken and my heart was stirred to do something. And here's what he says. Look, you know this was of God because he's about to write a check. He says, can I send your church some money? And could you get that money to people who desperately need it because of the storm? And here's what he said. I wrote it down. He says, how could you see the devastation and not do something about it? How could you see that devastation? In Minnesota, I don't know, a thousand miles away. And yet he saw the devastation of our area. And he says, my heart was stirred. I had to do something about it. What happened? It affected him. It affected him. Now, folks, understand that what's happening spiritually in our country right now is far more devastating than a tornado. It's far more devastating than a virus. And how can we look at what's going on? How can we see the truth of what's going on and how bad things are in America and not be affected to do something about it? Until we get to that place, I hate to tell you, we're not going to see much change until God's people are affected by the truth of God's word and it affects us so much that we just sit down. And say, life, you're just going to have to be paused just for a moment. What I want to do needs to be paused for a moment. My pity party needs to be paused just for a moment. Because I've got to be, I get back where I need to be in order to lead my home and my family back to a right standing with God. Don't you think about the Good Samaritan this morning? And I've got to hurry, but you stick with me. Because I promise you, I'm going to preach what God gave us to preach. And if we go over a little bit on time, uh, then, uh, then there, that's just that. Okay, I'm not going to apologize for it, all right? You know, the Good Samaritan, uh, the Bible tells us about the Good Samaritan. And here comes the priest and the Levite. And there was the man who had been robbed and he had been beaten. And he was laying there in bad shape. It was very obvious. He was near dead, the Bible tells us. And the priest comes along, the priest looks down at the man, and just keeps going life as usual. Here comes the Levite walking through, sees the man, recognizes the dire situation, and yet he's got something else to do, just moves on about his business. And then yet we look at the Samaritan. The Bible tells us that the Samaritan went to him. The Bible says he came to him. 
He stopped what he was doing. Why? Because the need was so great. He was affected by the greatness of the need that was in this man's life. And he says, I just can't keep going and acting like there's nothing wrong. And this is what's gotten us in the trouble we're in. We have just passed by America. We see America going to hell in a handbasket. And we just pass on by. Why? Because our life is fine. Everything in our world is okay. And this is why we're in the trouble that we're in today. Because we refuse to acknowledge how bad things are enough to stop our life just for a few moments and try to see what can we do to remedy the situation. And I want you to look at that man who was robbed and beaten and half dead and you see the United States of America. And the question is now this morning, are we affected enough by how bad things are to sit down, to stop? And say, I'm going to quit complaining about all that's going on in the government conspiracies and all of that. And I'm going to figure out what can I do to remedy the situation. And the Bible says that's exactly what Nehemiah did. Winston Churchill said this, men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most quickly pick themselves up and go on about their life. Men, most men will stumble upon the truth But most pick themselves up and go right back about their normal life. And oh, have we stumped our toe on the truth. It's everywhere. You can't deny it. Listen, you have to be sticking your head in the sand for the past 25 years in this country not to realize that we have been running from God's truth. And this is why we're in the shape that we're in. The Bible says that Nehemiah just sat down. Boy, when I skipped over that, Holy Spirit kept pulling us back, pulling us back. and says, no, there's something important there. For too long, the altars in our American churches have been empty. Our invitations have been motionless. And our prayers have remained silent. Why? Because we don't want to be affected by the truth. We hear the truth. Listen, it doesn't matter how good or bad the preacher is. God's word is truth. And the word is quick and powerful and it's sharp. The truth, listen, of the word of God, it's going to do its job. Look, it's going to get the job done. But here's the problem. If we will not allow ourselves to be affected by that, and look, Holy Spirit of God serves up truth from his word, and we walk right out those four doors unaffected. And this is why we're in the shape that we're in. I was thinking about Saul before I went to bed last night. You know, Saul was there. Saul, that would be Paul. Saul was there when Stephen was stoned. And Saul heard Stephen preach the truth. Oh, look, Stephen, what a preacher. What a preacher, unafraid, unashamed, and bold and courageous to preach the truth. And Saul was standing over there. The Bible says they laid their coats at his feet. And Saul was standing there watching this young man have his brains beat out for preaching the truth. And Paul heard the truth, but he was not affected by the truth just yet. And finally, we see him on the road to Damascus. God takes the truth and just knocks him upside the head with it. And now Saul's looking up. Now Saul is finally ready to be affected or to accept the truth. And I believe, listen, America has just stood by. We've just stood by. We've allowed sin to run rampant all over our country like watching Stephen be stoned. And we've sat silent. We've not stood up. We complain about it on Facebook. That as far as our outrage goes, we talk about it amongst people who agree with us, but we dare not talk about it amongst people who do not agree with us. And we've sat back and we've watched unaffected by the truth of what's going on in our country. 
And finally, we've gotten to a place here just a couple of months ago as America on their road to Damascus. God takes the truth and knocks us off of our high horse. And now we're on the ground staring up. It's only going to be by the mercy and grace of God that we get up from the place that we're at. And if we do not acknowledge the truth, if we're not affected by the truth, I hate to tell you things will never get back to the same. We can deny it all we want. We can run from it all we want. But the truth will catch up with you. Caught up with Saul. And I assure you, look, it would have been a whole lot easier for Saul to just bow a knee there while Stephen was getting his brains beat out. And go ahead and submit and to sit down right then. But no, Saul had to be hit upside the head with it. I read a funny story the other day about a young man who had a trouble with alcohol. And if he came home and had alcohol in his breath, his wife would just whoop him up real good. And so one night he was out late and she had gone to bed. So he tiptoes in the house. He had been drinking and he got in a fight and he was just bruised up and battered up. And so he comes up, washes his face up and goes to bed. His wife wakes up the next morning and she says, you were out drinking last night, weren't you? He says, absolutely not. She says, I know that you were out drinking. He says, no, I promise I wasn't. She says, well, who put the band-aids on the mirror? He stood there in front of the mirror, all beat up and bruised up, and he's putting the band-aids on the mirror instead of band-aids on himself. And he could try to deny it all that he wanted, but the evidence was there of the truth. And that's where we are today. We're trying to deny it, but the evidence is there. If we desire to get on the road to recovery, number one, you're going to have to be affected by the truth. We can no longer afford, listen, I know we're not in this building this morning, but we can no longer afford to hear the preaching of God's word and to read the truth of God's word and be unaffected by it. We can't afford that anymore. That time has gone out the window. The only hope for us is to be like Nehemiah, to get to the place we see just how bad things are and face the truth and sit down, put life on hold to do what we need to do in order to get things back where they need to get back. I want you to notice how much of an effect it had on him. Let's look back to verse 4. It came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down, put life on pause. Bible says here, and wept. We see what kind of effect it had on him. I want you to understand the word weep is not just the word we use for cry. The word weeping is an overwhelming sense of grief. There's been very few times in my life that I have wept. I've cried a lot, but there's been very few times that I have wept when I had an overwhelming grief in my life. This is what's happening to Nehemiah. Not only is he being affected by the truth, but he's being overwhelmed by the truth. He's being overwhelmed. You see, when you're weeping, you're overwhelmed or you're overcome with grief. You couldn't hold it back anymore. You know, I, I'll tell you this. That's number two. He was overwhelmed by the truth. I don't like to cry. I'm being honest with you. I don't like to cry. Uh, I'll be watching a cartoon sometimes with my daughter, and we'll be sitting there, and it's just an animated creature. You know, it's not really real, and they'll die. Or Why is it always the mom that dies? You know, that's the worst part in the world. And I'm like, ooh, I got to go get something to drink. I need some coffee, or I need to go pray or do something spiritual, you know. I don't like to cry. I'm soft-hearted, and I work very hard to hold back tears uh, when something sentimental comes along. 
I've got to tell you this. My wife may kill me. If I show up with bruises and band-aids on my face, then, then you'll know what happened. Uh, this past Tuesday, was it Tuesday or Thursday, was the uh, Joy Club Tea. And my goodness, Miss Rachel did a spectacular job on that. You be sure to thank her for all of her hard work. Her and her kids work hard on that. Such a blessing to a lot of people, not even just in our church, but even outside of our church. And, uh, and so while they were having the ladies' tea, uh, I decided to go do some man stuff. And so me and Brother AJ and Brother Braden came out of the football field, and we flew drones around uh, the football field. More important, man stuff. We were out there, and uh, once the batteries died, we came home, and I asked the ladies, how did it go? And she said, oh, it was just so fun, and Miss Rachel did such a great job. And she says, we just laughed, and we cried, and we laughed, and we cried. And I'm thinking, well, what about it made you cry? You know, was the tea hot and it burned your tongue? You know, what about it made you cry? And she says, oh, we just had a wonderful time of fellowship. And there was this video about a mother and a daughter. And oh, my wife says this. I didn't know this was a real phrase. She says, I was ugly crying. Am I going to get in trouble for that? Okay, she's shaking her head. No, I sure hope not. That's impossible for my wife to ugly cry. But that's what she called it. I was ugly crying. She says, here, let me show you the video. I'm like, No. I don't enjoy that. That's why I don't watch the Hallmark Channel. You know, somebody's going to get cancer. Somebody's going to die. They're going to lose their spouse. It's just going to be horrible. That's why I don't watch that stuff, all right? I like to watch man stuff and fly drones. I don't like to cry, and I hold it back. As much as possible. Brother Brent's amen over. You can't see him, but he's cutting cartwheels down the aisle over. He's so excited about that. I don't like to cry. And I definitely don't like to ugly cry, if that's what that's called. I guess every time I cry, it's probably ugly crying. But sometimes it's not possible to hold it back, is it? Sometimes you have overwhelming grief. I remember probably in the past 10 years, I've had two, two of my dearest friends, uh, one, in, one in their 20s, I believe one was in his 30s, or maybe both were in their early 30s, uh, passed away just, just suddenly and tragically, one in an electrical accident and, and one of a heart attack. And I remember going to both of their funerals. One was uh, near Jackson and one was in Alabama. And we're sitting there in the church or the other was in a gymnasium. And we're sitting there and looking down front and there was the casket of my friend. And just hard to believe, left, one left behind two kids and one had five kids. And I didn't want to cry in front of everybody that was there. You know, I didn't want to just get all sloppy, but it was overwhelming to sit down there and look at five kids that are about to bury their dad. Wonderful wife church family whom he was a pastor of and, and now they're going to have to say goodbye to him and the grief was just overwhelming couldn't hold it back sat there in the funeral for my other friend and just looked up there at a son and daughter and I kept thinking in my heart this doesn't seem right and I had a problem telling God I did not charge God foolishly but I told God I don't understand this one God is a, a, a wonderful young man, a preacher, working in a youth group and leading young people to the Lord. He had a great ministry, and now, God, you just let him go so soon. I, God, I don't understand this one. I don't get this one. My wife and I went to Taco Bell right after it was over. We just sat in Taco Bell. Couldn't help but cry. Couldn't hold it back. Why? It was an overwhelming grief. This is what Nehemiah had. The Bible says, I sat down and I wept. Anytime I think about the word wept, I cannot help but think about John eleven thirty five. We see the humanity of Christ where the Bible says in John eleven thirty five, shortest verse in the Bible that Jesus wept. Now here's Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. He knows what he's about to do. He knows he's about to raise him from the dead. He's going to live. He's going to breathe again in just a few moments. And yet I believe Jesus looks around and sees Mary and Martha who he loved dearly. 
He looks at all those that were friends and family of Lazarus. The Bible says that Jesus wept. What was he doing? It was overwhelming grief. You read verse number 36, the Bible says that those looking around says how he loved him. He wept. Overwhelming grief. You'll find three times in scripture that Jesus wept that we know of. I'm sure he did more, but three times mentioned in scripture. The second time was in Luke chapter 11. When Jesus stands there and looks over Jerusalem. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets. He's saying, I sent people unto you. I sent men unto you to preach repentance and bring you back to me. And you killed all of them. And the Bible says, as Jesus looks over the sin-filled city of Jerusalem, he wept. He had overwhelming grief for just how bad things were. Do you know why he was grieving? At the truth. Things were that bad. The other time we see Jesus weeping is in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he's about to bear the sin of the world. You read Hebrews, the Bible says he's weeping. Overwhelming grief. Why? Because of sin. Can I tell you something this morning? The acceptance of sin and the, the, the effects of sin on our world is something to grieve about. The effects of sin, the acceptance of sin. There's not a day goes by... <clears throat> that I don't see the effects of sin. See it on families and homes and husbands and wives and children in our country and you watch the news. You see the wickedness up there in Washington. You see how they're taking this wonderful country and just flushing it right down the tubes. You see the effects of sin. Can I tell you, that is a truth worth grieving over and weeping over. And the Bible says that Nehemiah could not hold it back anymore. Not only was he affected by the truth, but he was overwhelmed by the truth. And I believe this morning, the only hope for us, the only hope, I don't believe there's a plan B. We must be affected by the truth of just how bad things are to sit down and put life on hold just for a few moments while we see what can we do to help remedy the situation, but then be overwhelmed by the truth. Overwhelming truths that motivate us to do what God has called us to do and to be who God's called us to be. Think about this with me, if you will. You know why I got saved? You know why I got saved? I got saved because as a nine-year-old child, there was something stirring in my heart that I wasn't sure what it was. And I went to my mom, who was at the back right of the church, after church, and she took me to the pastor's office, and we knelt down by the coffee machine in the pastor's office. He took the word of God and showed me the truth. The truth was that I was a sinner. And that there was nothing that I could do to wash away my own sin. And that there was a price for sin. And the price for sin was hell. The wages of sin is death. Boy, I didn't like hearing that. I was one of the good kids in the church where I thought I was. You know, I played hide and go seek in the cemetery from time to time. But aside from that, I was a pretty good kid. This preacher's telling me that I'm a sinner and that I can't save myself. And that if I die in my sin, I'm going to hell. Oh, that truth hurt. But he began showing me how a man named Jesus came and lived and died on the cross for me to pay for my sin. And he says that I'd call upon him and believe in my heart that he would save my soul. And you see, it was the stark, frightening truth that motivated me to be saved. You see, it overwhelmed me. The thought that, that I was lost and the thought that I couldn't save myself and then the thought that there was one who would save me, it was overwhelming and it motivated me to call upon the name of the Lord in order to be saved. 
You see, overwhelming truths are not bad things. You shouldn't run from them because they motivate us to be who we need to be. Give you another one. Psalms chapter 126, verse 5 and 6, the Bible says this. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth. Notice that. The Bible says, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seeds, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Now, what is that talking about? It's talking about getting the gospel out. What is the motivator? What motivates us to go get the gospel out? Is it because the preacher's going to be mad? No. Is it going to be because people are going to make you feel guilty? No. What should motivate us is the overwhelming truth that if they die without Christ, they're going to a devil's hell. And God loved them and died for them just as much as he died for you and I. And what ought to motivate us is the weeping and the tears that if they died without Christ, they're going to go to hell. You see, it's an overwhelming truth. It overwhelms us to the place where we weep. Why are they weeping? Because they don't want anybody to go to hell. It motivates the gospel, it motivates salvation, and then it motivates repentance. We see in the life of Peter, and you know me, I love Peter, because I see myself in a lot of Peter's failures. And I see myself in the goodness of God and the grace of God and how if God could work through Peter, then, then God's grace might just be sufficient for me to help me serve God as well. We see when Peter denied Christ three times. What did he do? When he heard the cock crow... The Bible says he went out and he wept bitterly. These were not just emotional tears during the invitation time that kept him in his seat. This was an overwhelming grief in his sin. You'll find Peter just a few chapters later seeking out Christ. A few chapters after that, you'll find him boldly proclaiming the gospel on the day of Pentecost. What happened? Well, it's 2 Corinthians 7, where the godly sorrow worketh repentance. Godly sorrow. The overwhelming grief for who I was and what I've done, it motivates us to repent. Here's, here's a statement I'm about to make. I'm not exactly sure what side of the statement I'm on, but I pray, I'm just praying, that we have not held back our tears for too long. I was thinking this morning, have we got to that place? Have we held back our tears too long? Have we sat out there in the pew and we've heard the truth and we've been affected by the truth, but we would not allow it to overwhelm me? I'm not going to get to the place where I cry. I'm not going to get to the place where I grieve over my sin. I'm not going to let it get to that place. I'm just going to get up and walk out. Have we gotten to the place to where we've held back our tears too long? I sure hope not. But I'll tell you this. If while we're away, we do not allow God's truths to overwhelm us, I fear that there is no hope. I honestly fear all is lost if we do not get to the place to where we're not only affected by the truth, but we're overwhelmed by the truth. Years ago, I heard a preacher say, and I think we've probably all heard this story before, walking out the door, everybody usually has something to say to the preacher. Oh, thank you for that. I appreciate that. And it's encouraging. But every once in a while, you hear somebody say, boy, you stepped on my toes. And the old preacher responded back, well, I wasn't aiming at your toes. God was aiming at your heart. Well, look, getting our toes stepped on, maybe it makes us feel a little bit better than we got convicted a little bit. But listen, getting our toes stepped on is not going to cut it anymore. Listen, broken toes are not going to get us back to God. We've got to have a broken heart to where we are overwhelmingly grieving over the truth of just how bad we are and how far from God we've drifted. And if we can't get to the place 
where we can't hold back our tears over our sin anymore. I hate to tell you that there's no hope for America. There's no hope for this church. I don't like conviction. It doesn't feel good. I don't like getting to the place where I can't hold back the tears anymore. But you know what conviction is? As bad as it is, we don't like it. You know what conviction is? Conviction is a holy God's attempt to intervene in our error. That's what conviction is. It's the the attempt of a holy God to intervene, to get in our way. God's trying to stop us from the path of destruction. He wants to turn us around. That's what repentance is and send us back to the place where we recover what we've lost. And God sends conviction to try to get in our way. He's trying to intervene in our error. And if we go around that conviction, then we have coming what we have coming and there's no hope for us. So number one this morning... Nehemiah, he was affected by the truth. Number two, he was overwhelmed by the truth. Then keep reading. The Bible says, and it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept. But then notice the Bible says, and mourned certain days. Now our culture, a lot of times we just take words and we blend them together and they all, in our minds, mean the same thing. Crying, weeping, and mourning. They're kind of all the same thing to us. But you understand Jewish culture Nehemiah is not just crying. He's continuing on this difficult stretch of road to recovery. It began by being affected by the truth. And then he kept going as difficult as it was. He was overwhelmed by the truth. But now we see the Bible says that he mourned certain days and fasted. His weeping has turned to mourning. Now here's what's interesting about mourning in Jewish culture. You read about mourning, it was the time that you set aside a certain amount of time to acknowledge a great loss. You set aside a certain amount of time to acknowledge a great loss for which you are grieving. That's why we have the term here, certain days. The greater the loss, the greater the time of mourning. I believe it was Aaron that they mourned for 30 days. On average, it was about seven days. That was kind of the allotted time that you mourn. But I believe it was Aaron that they mourned for 30 days. It was one of them. I think it was Aaron. 30 days. You see, the greatness of the loss reflect, was reflected in the greatness of the mourning. So number three, and I'll give you this right quick. Not only was he affected by the truth, he was overwhelmed by the truth. But finally, in verse number four, we see him acknowledge the truth. Nehemiah acknowledged the truth. You know, my heart is broken. It's broken for our country. And uh, if your heart's not broken for our country, something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. Uh, I think you ought to have patriotism. I know our country's not all that it could be, but I still, next to Israel, I believe it's the greatest country on the planet. And I think you ought to be praying for our country. And I've been praying for America ever since this started. God, help America. God, bring America through this. God, give us strength and strength, all this. But then I got to a place where the Holy Spirit began to show me something in my heart. I was skipping over the sin to get to the solution. I wanted the solution. I don't want to be healed. I want everybody back in service again. I'm tired of preaching to a majority of empty chairs and I miss getting to see people and God, I miss the good singing in the choir and God, I just miss all of that. God, could you just get it all back like it was? Could you just, God, here, take it and fix it. Put it all back together. And he says, there is a solution, but you first have to deal with the sin. And this is what Nehemiah is doing. The Bible says he mourned certain days. Nehemiah is showing us that the road to recovery 
on the road to recovery, there must be a grieving and an acknowledging of sin. I know this is going to sound, this is going to sound off the wall. I don't have the president's number. That might surprise you, but I don't. But boy, if I could get in touch with the president, you know what I would tell him? I think what we need in America, I honestly believe this, is we need to declare a national time of mourning. That America gets to the place where we sit down, put life on hold, be overwhelmed by just how bad things are. And before an almighty God, we acknowledge our sin. And we acknowledge the truth that for so long we have denied. You don't like to think about it. I don't like to think about it. People that post abortion pics and all that, you know, I know, I know what they're trying to do on that. I, I, can't, I don't like looking at it. I don't like looking at it. These babies and whatnot. But you know, sometimes we've got to look at it. Sometimes we've got to acknowledge what we are allowed. You know, there is no, you know, well, that part of America is going to suffer the judgment of God, but we're going to be fine. No, 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 we're going to go down together. We've got to acknowledge what's going on in our country. We've got to grieve and we've got to mourn. I looked it up this morning and I did not even want to look it up. Since 1973, there have been 60 million abortions in America. Now, if that can't make us mourn and grieve, we're beyond help. 60 million of the most innocent lives, innocent blood, as the Bible says. We've allowed that to happen. And we stood idly by. And the best we could muster was a fired up Facebook post. We haven't called our, our congressman. We haven't done anything. We haven't tried to motivate uh, anybody to make a difference. Why? We're just sitting back. And we got to a place in America where we've, we, we've got to mourn. We've got to grieve and acknowledge our sin that in America, half the marriages are going to end in divorce. Prayer was kicked out of school in 1962. And what God calls a perversion, we call something to be proud of. They say, I know, I know all those heathens in America. Look, we're all Americans. This is our country. We're going to see next week, Lord willing, and if he tarries, that Nehemiah begins to repent of the sin in his life and in his household. We cannot throw this on everybody else. Second Chronicles 7 says, my people, God's people, have got to get to the place where we see just how bad things are in this country and we set aside a time of mourning and grieving over just how bad things are. You know there is a precedent in that. We read it in the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter number 2. Matter of fact, turn there with me real quick. Jonah chapter number 2. You know, I'm not going to look at the clock this morning. I'm not going to keep you longer than I need to. But look, if we can't sit through an extra 15 minutes of a service, then we are hopeless. Jonah chapter 2. Or chapter 3, I'm sorry. The Bible says... And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. The Bible tells Jonah did that. Jonah, verse number 4, entered the city, and yet begins to preach, Judgment's coming. Watch verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast. And put, Listen, these are wicked people. The Bible says they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For a word came unto the king of Nineveh and he arose from the throne. Notice what he's doing. He laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. What is the king doing? The king's sitting down. He says, all right, daily business has got to stop. Normal life has got to stop. And he sat in ashes. 
and he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by decree of the king and his nobles saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Notice what's happening. They're grieving. They're acknowledging their wickedness. They're not going before God and say, God, we're not that bad, or this is their fault, or look, I'm being good, and that's the rest of my country being bad. No, the entire country, from top to bottom, declared a national day of mourning. And I believe America's got to get to the place where we grieve and acknowledge the truths of our sin and just how bad we've let this country get. And I believe if there's any hope for us, it's going to begin there. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 4, what does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us, to everything there is a season. It says in verse 4, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. I love laughing. Matter of fact, I probably laugh in times you shouldn't laugh. Uh, but that's how I deal with stress and strife. I try to crack a joke. And sometimes, especially funerals, it doesn't go too well. So I'm trying to work on that. But I like the times that we laugh. And I like the times that we sing. I like the times that we fellowship. But keep reading. And man, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there's some flyover words in there that I don't want to see. The Bible says there's a time to mourn. There's a time to mourn. Now when do we mourn? When do we mourn? We mourn when we've suffered great loss. And my question, you know, America's not going to listen to me, but my question to our church is simply this. Have we lost enough yet? Have we lost enough yet? Are we finally willing to get to the place to where we're looking at the landscape of our country and say, okay, we've got to open our eyes to the truth. We've let this thing go to the dogs. We have allowed it to be flushed down the toilet. And it's us, God's people. Quit blaming the Muslims. Quit blaming the Democrats. Listen, quit blaming all of the atheists. It's God's people. We have the power to tap into God's power to turn this thing around. But God's people sit idly by, ignoring the truth. My question is simply this, have we lost enough till we get to the place that we're ready to mourn and we're ready to grieve? Listen to me, I, I desire healing. I'm right there with you. When I've listened to many of you vent this week about how frustrated we are that we can't meet together, uh, I'm right there with you. I just can't jump on the bandwagon because somebody's got to remain strong, all right? Uh, I go to my wife and whine when I, when I feel weak and she holds me up. I'm ready to get back in here. I really, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of being outside the building. I'm tired of having to figure out things. And uh, in the morning, try to make my face look awake to do the devotions for you, which half the time doesn't work. I need, I need some beauty tips on that. I'm tired of all this. But the question is, are we tired of all of this enough to grieve about it? I'm not talking about complain about it. I'm talking about grieve about it. That we get off of Facebook for a few minutes and quit talking and speaking to the choir about how the government conspiracy. Hey, let's put all of that down for a second. Let's sit down. Listen, let's be affected by the truth. Let's be overwhelmed by the truth. And then let's acknowledge the truth. Let's not just gripe about it. Let's grieve about it. And let's get to the place to where we're acknowledging that we have allowed things to get to where they're at. It's our fault. Nehemiah hears the bad news, and I'm done. He hears the bad news. At a pivotal moment, he could have said, man, that's bad. Bless their heart. Bless their heart. I got stuff to do. I'll see you guys later. I got to go. I got to get around normal life. No. The man that would lead an a, a entire city to recovery and revival sat down. It affected him. 
It didn't just give him a scary feeling in his heart. It drew tears where he wept. And he mourned certain days. And he fasted. My question is, you grieve over loss. Have we lost enough? Have we lost enough? And I believe in our country today. I don't know. I don't know. You can ask me, do I think we're going to get out of this thing? I don't know. But I believe if we are, it's only going to be by the mercy and grace of Almighty God. And how on earth can we expect God to give us mercy and grace when we've yet to be affected by the truth? We sit at home, we can't wait. Brother Jeremiah, it's 12.09. Hey, hurry up. It's time to eat. My favorite show's about to come on. If that's the case, we are hopeless. If we can't be affected by truth, and if we can't be overwhelmed by truth to squeeze a tear out of our eye for the 60 million babies that have been killed in America, and for all of the perversions that God calls a perversion, and yet we take pride in and don't speak out against, if there's, listen, if we're not overwhelmed by that, then it's over. We might come back, but it's going to be on a limited capacity. It's not going to last very long. So what I believe is I can't declare a national day of mourning for America. Nobody would listen. But I want to tell you for Central Baptist Church, why don't we decide it's going to happen here? That in our hearts, in our homes, in our lives, in our minds, we're going to grieve over our sin. You ask my wife and daughter. In our prayer time at night when we go to bed, I beg God for mercy. Because I'm just as much a part of it as the next person. I've been stirred by the truths of God's word and not responded. I've held back from being overwhelmed by what God was trying to do in my life. And it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord. That's what Nehemiah was saying, standing in need. And there's only hope for America this morning is for God's people to be affected by the truth, to be overwhelmed by the truth, and then get to the place where we're willing to acknowledge the truth of just how bad things are. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning.